Open Book Club podcast. My name is James. And I'm Marco Sparks. Hello, Marco. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Feeling excellent. This week on the pod, we're going to be talking about Snow Crash, the Nielsen's novel, chapter 16 through 20. Kind of getting into some action here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do not have any follow-up yet because this says uh, not actually, none of these episodes have gone live yet. We're just banking them. But uh, if mm-hmm. you do want to follow up and have any thoughts on the Snow Crash book or the podcast in general, uh, NSBC, like Neil Seenson Book Club, NSBC at headcanon.org. Hit us up through email. So that means that all the follow-up is praise. People sure. think we're doing a great job. Yeah. Or you could send us hate mail and we won't read it. Um, <laughs> we don't give a shit. If you like the podcast and you want to support it, visit our uh, headcan.org website to see our other podcasts. And we also have a, a couple of books of our own, a third book coming out soon. Uh, my name is trouble.com for all the info there. It's a teen murder mystery. It's not really anything close to Neil Simpson's work. Although I like to think there's probably at least a little bit of Steven Sinian influence just some uh, white tea. because he's my favorite author, you know, there's some white tea in there. Sure. Sure. And anyway, let's get into snow crash. How'd you feel about uh, these chapters? Actually, I want to, I want to try a new segment mm-hmm. each week. I want to ask you, what is one topic that you would love to hear Neil Stevenson talk about? For two minutes. Topic? Yeah. I'd, I'd be interested. I don't know if anyone's asked him about this. If he, they have, I haven't seen it, but I'm, I'm curious of what he thinks about like cryptocurrency now and mm. like, like Bitcoin and all that. Cause he kind of invented it as a concept. And I have to imagine it hasn't gone exactly how he predicted. Mm-hmm. I would just like to hear him talk for two minutes about minions. <laughs> um, Gentlemen. Right. Yeah. So the, I feel like the the buzzword, secret buzzword of this book so far is biomass. Biomass. Biomass is not in this section though. The the word comes up one time. Does it? Okay. Yeah. All right. He's really he's really seeding. He wants mm-hmm. us to be thinking about the biomass. So yeah, chapter 16. Raven has arrived. Raven. Um I don't know. I feel like I want to move through these chapters, but I also just have these like topics I want to focus on. I don't know if okay. we want to do it as we go or just like wrap back around once we get through the, uh, the plot. If it comes up organically, we can go. We can do it as we go. We're really, I mean, we we briefly met Raven in the last chapter, but yeah. this is where we're, we're starting to get more of a feel from him. We haven't really like gotten any dialogue from him yet, but uh, yeah. description right at the start. He is annoyingly calm and unhurried. He's like <laughs> on this massive hog with the sidecar, just kind of like doing a little rev rev here and there, like tooling around this concert. Yeah, he's just like taking the taking shit in, doing the perimeter, mm-hmm. like like he owns the fucking world, uh, which we'll find out he kind of does. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes up to the head crypt because the crypts are there. They wand him. They find no metal. Uh, the description of as though the man is surrounded by an invisible force field, like the way people part yeah. around him, like everybody is scared shitless of this guy. Yeah. Uh, some some student gets out of a, a nearby BMW and comes and wants him. And Hero eventually realizes that this is a Geiger counter that they're running over him. I love the way Stevenson drops that in at the end of the section. It's like he describes what this guy's doing. He's like waving this wand and there's these like flashing lights. He's pointing at the sky. And then he finally like goes and has a talk with the lead crip and gets back in the car. And he just writes, it was a Geiger counter, which is such a like a holy shit like if you want to like show like this dude's so hardcore they have to scan him with a geiger counter like we don't know what this guy's about but he's he's pretty insane 
Well, just this one sentence, because like I said, the, the guy's running this thing up and down. Mm-hmm. And then from the sense from the book is it has the feel of some kind of religious rite, <laughs> accepting digital input from the sky spirit and then the ground spirit and then from the black biker angel. <laughs> Geiger counter. Raven is so hardcore. You gotta you gotta you can't just pat him down, which they do that. And apparently, you know, metal detector detects, you know, pure organic mass there. So Lagos's warning about Raven's knife turned out to be bullshit or did it? Biomass. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then the Raven hands the head crypt a briefcase, uh, um, you know, and Vanjie, like, Hero's like, I could watch more of this, but I'm for sure that Gremlin Lagos has this covered. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so meanwhile, two limousines are driving up to the stage of the concert, and a bunch of Nipponese people are climbing out. Um, Great description here. It describes these people awkwardly milling about, uh, like a handful of broken nails suspended in colorful jello mold. Yeah, yeah. Which, I, I mean, I guess is if we take this as hero's perspective, a little bit of editorializing here, he doesn't seem to like these guys much mm. or I think it's just, he doesn't take them seriously. Yeah. He doesn't take them seriously as like musical acts. I mean, there, there's a whole, I mean, we'll have to have the discussion it's, about Sushi K. Yeah. Yeah. It's Sushi K. Oh my God. The fucking lyrics are, well, and they, and they take a turn or they get a little more insane as they mm-hmm. go. But I mean, like they literally start off with like, I'm Sushi K and I'm here. To yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. But there's a great bit where he's just like, he's like trying to be polite to these these Nipponese guys getting out of the limos. Mm-hmm. And then finally, he's just like, fuck this. I'm like half American. There's no reason to take this politeness to an unhealthy extreme. So inside the limo of Sushi K are the programmers and his imagering team. His hairdo is currently turned off. So it's yeah. like an orange afro. It just looks like an orange afro because all the lights are off. Uh, we um, get this description of a TV program called iSpy, which is produced by the CIC. CIC which is like the CIA and, and the Library of Congress, basically. Um, mm. And it's just like they smuggled some guy onto the raft where he's trying to infiltrate one of the many colorful and sadistic pirate gangs, the Bruce Lee organization. So Bruce Lee is alive in this timeline, and he like runs some t- kind of like pirate gang franchise or something. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm, sh- I'm, I'm shocked that we haven't seen Tarantino trying to get his fucking claws in this. <laughs> I don't know. I, I almost feel like this out Tarantino is Tarantino in a way. Like, he, oh hell yeah! I think you'd be a little intimidated by it. Oh hell yeah! Um, yeah. So the I Spy, it's a it's a two hour weekly show produced by the CIC, where one of their their wet work stringers just just filmed. They just doing like put shit a gargoyle rig on him. It. It's like, oh, you guys want to see what one of our like weird assassins is doing this week? Well, which was kind of insane to me because this is this is ninety two. This comes out mm-hmm. right. Yeah, this is before Survivor. So this was like cops era, right? This is like cops in like real world. Maybe. I don't know. I'm trying to think when real world one came out. I feel like that this might've been written before that. I feel like real world one is, is slightly pre Clinton. Is it? Uh, We're just going to have to look it up online. Go to the Wikipedia here. Real time Googling. Mm -hmm. 1992. Okay. So he's probably not as aware of it yet. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think this is this is probably mostly cops. I'm guessing is is the influence. But I mean, to me, like after cops in the real world, the real like starting pistol of fucking reality TV is Survivor. So it's like he's kind of yeah. Although I mean, you know, there's anticipating. Like, there's like network and whatnot. Like like this this type of entertainment was predicted before it happened. Mm-hmm. You know, like the reality TV entertainment like network where they like embed with like some like you know. Simonese Liberation Army terrorists or something. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like make a show out of that. Mad as hell. And I'm not going to take mm-hmm. it anymore. 
yeah, so Hero never watches the show because he finds it fucking annoying. Uh, so she now he works for the CIC. But this is the second to last episode in a five episode arc um, at this agent in- infiltrating the Bruce Lee gang. <laughs> and the Bruce Lee himself is on screen and it's like, oh, he's, he's like aiming crosshairs at Bruce Lee. Like he's about to, you know, he's been cornered and he has to fight his way out. But then like a shadow moves in front, you know, blocking his aim and tune in next time to see what that is. So mm-hmm. it's. I don't know. Reading this now, just as as our democracy slowly crumbles, it's been fascinating and horrifying, and then fascinating again to just ponder: like, is this in our future? You know, and is is this a better future than just like a fascist state? This right here in, in, yeah. in Snow Crash. Uh, <laughs> two sides of the two or two sides of the same shit, Penny. I guess, but yeah, yeah. I the thing that strikes me the most is just that. As long as you don't leave your burp clave, whatever your your beliefs are, like because there's no there's no doesn't it feel like all encompassing like our like, society is slowly getting there? But I mean, like it's back to almost like a medieval state where you're like mm-hmm. you're not safe. There's no laws to protect you. There's nothing. You just have here. your little suburb that you stay yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. And then you know, as long as you're you're paying those simoleons or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I like this line though. So when Hero sits down in the back of the limo, he sits, sits across from Sushi Kane, the programmer, is next to the television set, so you can get a TV's eye view of the man. Mm-hmm. Um, so the him and Sushi K have like a nice off where they're apologizing to each other and then like apologizing for apologizing. And it pains me deeply. You should feel the need to apologize when you've given me the opportunity that any Nipponese rapper would give anything for to perform my humble works with the actual homeboys of the ghettos of LA. And he's like, uh, these aren't actually homeboys. He's like, I am profoundly embarrassed to reveal that these fans are not exactly kiddo homeboys. As I must have carelessly led you to believe they're thrashers, skateboarders who like rap music and heavy metal. <laughs> ah, this is fine. Then Sushi K says, but his tone of voice suggests it is not really fine at all. <laughs> Uh, yeah so the the line that he's talking about everything he has to do to prepare and the the performance perfect buzz grunge from the best people and all this stuff Susie K's face lights up with a combination of joy and terror now he actually has to go up there and do it in front of the seething biomass yeah yeah seething biomass there's a great line i think it's a little bit earlier where hero is describing these thrashers and you know 5,000 potential market shares, young people with funkiness on their minds. He says, they've never heard any music before that, before that wasn't perfect. It's either studio perfect digital sound from their CD players or performance perfect fuzz grunge from the best people in the business. That groups that have come to LA to make a name for themselves and have actually survived the gladiatorial combat environment of the clubs. Which, they, I don't know, that, that line, they've never heard any music before that wasn't perfect, really does make me think of modern day music, which is just like produced to an inch of its life and back. It's like the evolution of uh, the two fucking thrashers that uh, John Cusack produces in High Fidelity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Sushi K goes to perform and Hero is done with this puny situation, as he puts it. Especially now that Raven, the Raven thing has a higher potential for income. I like how we're learning that like Hero is like, actually like a whole concert promoter, just kind of on the yeah. side. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so like, I don't, is- I'm not even sure if Hero realizes his like his place in the hierarchy here you know because like eventually like the that squeaky dude from the enforcers comes over and is like yo dude it's the swords are you running this plate thing and he's like i guess 
I mean, I think that he's almost like uh, I could hear out of a 70s movie. We liked guys who were mixing it up. They were almost like Raymond Chandler. Well, he, he really he walks in all worlds. He's, you yeah. know, he's like Blade the Daywalker. He's he's high society hacker dumb. He's fuzz grunge. He's talking to enforcers. He's, you know, he's a pizza delivery guy. Yeah. Yeah. We like, we like characters just mixing shit up. Yeah. So you got to remember that the, the security is being handled by the enforcers and their guy squeaky walks up. Um, there's a situation with the bug that I talked about earlier, meaning gargoyle or Lagos. Uh, and oh. so as squeaky leads him away and up this hill, Sushi K starts his first song. Before you get to the lyrics, I just want to say I love the line from Squeaky. He says, Mr. Protagonist, we got a call a few minutes ago from a friend of yours named YT, which is like fascinating to me because I, I, I think it says so much about YT and how like both the naivete and like the kind of, um, I don't know, eagerness that she has to like do her job. She's like reporting in some intel, you know, yeah. like YT, like she ends up punching way above her weight. Just because mm-hmm. she doesn't know not to, basically. Yeah. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm like, I'm Hero's partner. We're gathering intel now. So, like, I'm just going to, like, keep an eye out on stuff while I'm, like, thrashing at this uh, concert. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, the, literally, the first two lines of the song are, I'm Sushi K, and I'm here to say, I like to rap in a different way. And then later, I like to rap about sweetened performance. My fond ambition is of your pants. Yeah, th- these are certain romance. Sorry, of the pants. These uh, these lyrics—they're horrid. Yeah, I guess you could say they're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like um, it—they're it, extremely painful. The the context of them is interesting because it seems like a lot of Sushi K's grievance is that basically it's like he—it's like he is a stand-in for Japan, wanting access to american pop culture and mm-hmm. and, and he, he's been denied it but it's i feel like there's that kind of early 90s like fear of japan you mm-hmm. know um and there was a word for it back then i can't remember what it was now um it was a lot of japan bashing yeah it was japan then. bashing in general yeah um that that fear that they're going to take over and and i, I think hero's little soliloquy earlier in the book about like well you know when it comes down to it like america's only good for these like four things or whatever you know like basically pop culture and pizza delivery is, is what it comes down to in software. Um, and it's like now this is Japan encroaching on that territory as well, which I think is why Hiro has a little bit of chip on his shoulder about this guy. Mm-hmm. And, well, especially and, since and the book kind of does too, you know. He's also fully in a world that Hiro's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so as he performs, Sushi K is bouncing around. His hairdo is apparently turned on now and emitting light rays throughout the crowd. We never get an audience reaction to any of this. I feel like Stevenson is leaving it to you, the reader to interpret the lyrics and and guess how they might react to this guy. But we never, it's never like, Oh, and everyone's booing him or, Oh, everyone's actually dancing along. It's like, it's, we're just getting it in the background uh, while this performance is going on uh, from the tip on YT squeaky's like, Hey, we got to go find this like, um, you know, Lagos guy or whatever, you know, your, your partner called in like, you know, tip about him, or whatever. So they're like walking up an embankment, um, this, kind of like this, away from the crowd. The writing is fucking fascinating in this chapter because you're walking into this like grisly David Fincher crime scene and we keep cutting back and forth to the ridiculous lyrics. I mean, it's almost got the surreality of, uh, the end of Nashville. But, you know, more heightened and insane. One of the lines is, he got a chill financial back and give those U.S. rappers a smacking. 
Well, I mean, one of them is they say, you know, stay in Japan. Please listen. We can't handle competition. You know, like there's yeah. there's like a, a very like mm. corporate, like international finance uh, kind of subtext. All this. I like the this description of Squeaky is walking straight uphill, paralleling a fresh motorcycle track that is cut deeply into the loose yellow soil. It consists of deep, wide track with a narrower one that runs parallel a couple of feet to the right. So I think actually what it is is that I don't think they know this is about Lagos yet. I think mm. YT just called in like a, a Raven sighting. Yeah. So they, they eventually get to a pool of blood and the dead body of Lagos, who's been cut from anus through the belly and sternum and up to the jaw. Deep cuts in place in some places all the way to his spine and the wires holding his computer gear are like to, like all together cut apart. Yeah, got yeah. like fish. There's a line before that where he says, for an instant, the red light shines into the motorcycle rut and here it proceeds that it has become a river of bright red oxygenated blood. So there's like following this, this you know, rut of a motorcycle's wheel until suddenly it's like full of blood. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lagos has been completely gutted from groin to sternum. Mm. Stumacher style. Um, then we get we get a fascinating two chapter diversion to Jason Breckenridge. Oh yeah, we should say that that that's how the chapter ends um, with Sushi K's rapping, put U.S. He, rappers he, into shock. He fucking nails the last sentence. I mm-hmm. mean, like he just he knows how to end on on a mood. Yeah, uh, Jason the Iron Pumper Breckenridge. Um, man, what what to say about Nova Cecilia? And their operations. I, I found this section fascinating too. The way that like it seemingly Nova Cecilia has like hired themselves a, a diversity, uh, I'm sorry, uh, a diversity, uh, eth- equality and, and inclusion department DEI? to like yeah, yeah the, the DEI to um to kind of like spruce up the image of like mm-hmm. hey we now have like black Hispanic and Asian capos you know like we're your friendly neighborhood mafia we we you know we respect your cultural traditions and it's yeah. like it's hilariously dark because they're the fucking mob you know but it's like the mob is now like the this friendly organization that is seemingly trying to like uphold the American values that the government has abandoned but it's like the way the chapter starts off, it's almost like the Mick mob because yeah, yeah. like Jason's never been to Sicily. That would require accumulating 10,000 Goombata points. And since he owns his own Nova Sicilia franchise, that automatically earned him 3,333 points. And he's got a one-time citizenship bonus of 500. So he's, you know, on his way. Yeah, man. It's almost 40%. Uh, he went to University of Illinois, did a senior thesis about the turf struggle between Nova Sicilia and the Narco-Lumbia franchises in the Aurora. Like they which have is, a, he's a 2.95 GPA. Yeah. Aurora, the home of Wayne's World. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by the Narco-Columbia franchise. Like, I just picture like a fast food chain where you like roll up to the drive through and they just hand you cocaine. Like, you know, like, is, is there anything else they do like as a brick? Yeah, I don't know. But like, it's like, we know the no Cecilia, they have a bunch of pizza places. Right. But like, yeah, yeah. what does Narcolumbia have? That's a great is it question. Just like purely narcotics that they serve or, you know, like, is it also a Taco Bell or something? So can I get a uh, number three? Mm-hmm. Can I uh, also get two soft tacos and a large soda and maybe a uh, $10,000 worth of cocaine? <laughs> well, they described the, this case study that Jason Breckenridge did of the turf struggle between No Sicilia and Narcolumbia franchises in his neighborhood. And it says Enrique Cortazar uh, ran the family Narcolumbia franchise upon which Jason hinged his argument. Jason interviewed him several times over the phone. 
briefly, but never saw Mr. Katarzar face to face. So what does that mean, briefly over the phone? Is he just like calling and getting hung up on her? Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mr. Katarzar uh, celebrated Jason's graduation by firebombing the Breckenridge's Omni Horizon van in a parking lot and then firing 11 clips of ammuni- uh, automatic rifle ammunition through the front wall of their house. So, I mean, it, the tone is arch and it can mean a lot of things, but I literally like the idea that they waited until the thesis was accepted and he yeah. graduated and <laughs> they tried to firebomb his house. But uh, he survived because uh, the Nova Sicilians have much better like like surveillance and spying on them, knew what was happening, got the family out of there on time. So <laughs> their, at a their job signal fair, intelligence is better. Yes. At the job fair after he graduated, Jason went down to meet Mr. Caruso, who runs the local mafia franchise. He said, you know, thank him for saving his family's life. And he mentioned that he wanted to go interview with Mr. Lee's Greater Hong Kong. Uh, so the mafia guy goes on this whole race. A lot of like Mr. Caruso just like grabbing deltoids and like squeezing his deltoids yeah. constantly yeah. through this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is a. Uh, it, it's it, it's a racist rant, even though he he claims that he's he not racist. He is, well, he is. He's going to a point. I'm sorry. He doesn't have a point. Mm-hmm. He's going to a point. He seems to be basically endorsing like a like a nationalism, I guess, even though the nation state of America is questionably fragmented at best. You know, it's like it's, it's not clear whether or not you could even call this America anymore. But, so what he's basically saying is that there's a cultural heritage of the mafia that's so unique that the Yakuza is referred to as the Japanese mafia, whereas his organization is not referred to as the Sicilian Yakuza. Well, he calls the the Japanese foreign devils as opposed to them who are, you know, we're we're all we were all foreign devils, but we've we've formed this like new, you know, society here or whatever. Like it's 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 kind of american ish you know it's it's like this really mm. twisted fucked up version of the american dream it's a post the godfather world mm-hmm. for sure yeah so the mafia guy goes off on uh, opportunity zones long story short that's how jason ends up managing a nova sicilia franchise in this valley i did find it interesting that jason says that he was interested in mr lee's greater hong kong because uh he's in, real interested in high tech so i guess that is a, another signifier that that franchise or, or nation state or whatever you want to call it is like where like, you know, the, the technology sector is involved. They do everything with robots. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So then there's almost a, uh, a kind of Vietnam war s description where every day when Jason goes to work, he's at risk of being shot by Narcolumbian snipers. <laughs> he wears a terracotta blazer and he drives to work in an Oldsmobile. Like not these foreign cars or whatever, you know. It's like, yeah. So his job basically consists of sitting at a computer and reading like the missions or the jobs they call them that come in on on the computer and setting them up with contractors to handle it. Otherwise, he has to handle them himself. Most are simple deliveries, which he gives over the couriers, like what YT does. Um, but then a high priority job comes in. Some financial documents have to be delivered to a mafia office in Compton, which is home to the Narcolumbians and the Rastafarian gunslingers. But uh, I was going to say, I like that what, one of the other franchises he mentions is Deadbeaters International, who he like contracts like a debt collection to. <laughs> but he likes to go there the first time just to show the flag, you know, yeah, emphasize yeah. that that personal touch that the mafia well, it's, has. It's it's like a, a he's like describing like, like car dealers. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, exactly. Like, like it's to the mafia, that sort which of is analogy. a fitting comparison. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, the wrinkle is uh, Uncle Enzo will personally be at this Compton office. Uh, you know, this will be his temporary headquarters. So Jason's planning on delivering these documents there himself. I love that the way I, I was rereading this last night and I was like, what is this going? I don't remember this character at all. Mm. And then I was like, after you read the next chapter, I was like, this is a great setup because we're all on the rise of Jason Breckenridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's like realizing like, oh, wow, like they want me to deliver these documents to this franchise in the middle of a war zone that Uncle Enzo is going to be at. They yeah. must be interested in me like Uncle Enzo is interested in me. That's why they sent me this job. So I got to I'm going to get there myself. You know, I think in the next chapter, he's like he gets there like an hour early or something like that. Yeah. Like. And I hate all mafia things, but like, would he already be a made man or would this make him a made man? I don't know. I mean, if it ever comes up, basically, like you have tenure and you won't get killed. Yeah. I mean, you have to, you know, it's real greaseball shit. It goes back to Sicily. You got to be able to trace your your origin, you know, your ethnicity back there. So not anyone could be a made man. Um, But I mean, like. If I become a made man, does that mean I can sleep easy knowing I won't have a sudden outbreak of Joe Pesci? It basically means that no one in the mafia can kill a made man unless like the Don and like other dudes agree to it. Like you so you're somewhat protected. Like the Crime tenure. Like the the mob boss or whatever, like Uncle Enzo might decide, oh, this guy's gotta go, he's a problem. But that would be right. like a serious thing where they'd all talk about, you know, and like decide to get rid of this guy. Like, but like a made man, like nobody else can touch them. Okay. You know, that's why Joe Pesci gets killed in uh spoilers and <laughs> Goodfellas because he kills a made man. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I've never seen it. But cool. Yeah. All right. So yeah, so we're still chasing the next chapter, chapter 18. Like I said, he gets there an hour early. Uh we find we're, we're reminded that he has the nickname the Iron Pumper because everyone gets a nickname. Everyone's constantly squeezing his boobs, seemingly. That's <laughs> what they're doing. Uh <laughs> In Compton, the mafia has a lot of recruitment billboards with slogans like the mafia, you've got a friend in the family or relax, you're entering a mafia watch neighborhood or Uncle Enzo forgives and forgets. It's just incredibly bizarre, like Norman Rockwell-ish yeah. like family values thing, but it's the mafia. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if we ever get into like made men in, in the context here. And like, I don't think Jason could become a made man. No, well, not now. Yeah, not, well, not now. Happen this chapter, not yeah, he fucks up like this. Um, yeah, so there's usually there's usually on these billboards an image of Uncle Enzo with his arm around some teenager that he's given a stern avuncular talking to, <laughs> contrasting with the Colombians and Jamaicans who just kill everybody. <laughs> yeah, one of the things says "No way, Jose," and it's Uncle Enzo's holding up one hand to stop an oozy toting Hispanic scumbag. Behind him stands a pan ethnic phalanx of kids and grannies resolutely gripping baseball bats and frying pans. Uh, so, so as he's getting there, people are shooting his Oldsmobile. There's, oh, uh, I, I wanted to mention one thing real quick before we get to yeah. that. There's like this description of like Narcolumbia franchises and how like uh, it sucks to work for them, and like a lot of people like they end up trying to skim a little off the top. But like Medellin always finds out they have this like computer that tracks everything, mm-hmm. and he says nothing sucks more than being hauled in front of a firing squad against the back wall of a business that you built with your own two hands. <laughs> so like they they'll just kill you if you try to steal from them. I and to that point, like I said, I don't like organized crime stories. I got suckered into watching the whole first season of Ozark mm-hmm. because uh, uh, Michael Bluth, like, all right, yeah, and the opening scene basically goes goes wrong with like the Colombians, and it's it's fucking compelling. 
um what's his name the actor i can't remember his name but uh, he's the guy who's replacing somebody in dead reckoning the new mission impossible movie all right and I was kind of thrilled because the guy is so fucking good in Ozark. But yeah, it's it's just about the fucking insane like business model of like you're just always in danger. Someone's always skimming and you're always about to get killed by somebody. Yeah, why, uh, why end up suffocating on your own in trails out in the back of some buy and fly when you can put on a crisp terracotta blazer instead <laughs> and become part of a jovial family? Especially now that they have black, Hispanic, and Asian capos who will respect your cultural identity. In the long term, Jason is bullish on the mob. I mean, I don't know. It's 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 like they 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 did good because obviously the deliverator was probably a valued employee, but it almost makes it seem like to the mafia it was a diversity hire, which is kind of gross. I I feel like the whole joke of the mafia in this is just Nielsen's insane. What if we get to the point where the mafia is is actually good? <laughs> yeah. Know? What yeah. if this is the best option available? Yeah. Yeah, they're they're your family. Um. Mm-hmm. So outside the office in, this, in the Compton neighborhood, there's the mafia war wagons all, all around the office with men wearing windbreakers that say mafia on the back. Like you'd see with the FBI or ATF <laughs> like jackets. FBI, yeah. I love there's also a description of like Compton is like, it's just like such a fucking wasteland. There's like lepers roasting dogs on spits <laughs> over tubs of flaming kerosene. Street people pushing wheelbarrows piled high with dripping clots of million and billion dollar bills. They raked out of some storm sewers. Like, that gives you an idea of like the inflation that happened at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Jason gets there and he finds out that he fucked up. He apparently didn't read the job close enough. They don't care about the documents. What they care about is the courier. Jason was supposed to hire YT to deliver the documents because Uncle Enzo's taken a liking to her and wanted to meet her. And now Uncle Enzo can't get his wish. This was like their way of getting YT to come meet them was like, we'll just like set up a courier job that will get assigned to her and it's going to pay a lot of money, obviously, you know, so like that'll, that'll get her to come deliver these documents that don't even matter. You know, yeah. just so that they can talk to YT, but he fucked it up because he thought he, this was like his time to shine. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, how, I mean, like, I like how the guards just like, "Bud, you ain't on the list." And then it's like there was a very, very long wait. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, per our, our our talking about the mafia in this book, go back to the first episode when we talk about the the paragraph of what happens if you do get your pizza thirty one minutes late, mm-hmm. and like Uncle Enzo is like gonna make you like a fucking superstar but at the same time i love the the idea of the helicopters flying overhead when you reach <laughs> yeah. the 29 minute mark to make sure you're not cheating them uh yeah so chapter 19 we're back well, to hero before we get to that i, I there's the, the guy who comes out he's some sort of capo i guess i think this guy comes back later because i think he has like a glass eye or something if mm-hmm. i remember from the uh description here uh, but he, he just comes out. He says, I don't want I don't even want you to nod. That's how much you annoy me. <laughs> Freeze and shut up. Uh, it's too yeah. late to save your franchise, Jason, the Iron Pumper. But it might not be too late to keep sewer rats from eating your nipples for dinner. Yeah. Uh, so back to Hero. Uh, Hero and Squeaky are examining Lagos's body. Hero doesn't think this was done with a sword because he has a lot of experience of the metaverse with swords. <laughs> oh, Squeaky's like, really? Have you killed a lot of people with swords, Mr. Protagonist? He says, yes, in the metaverse. <laughs> they stand uh, for a while longer. <laughs> Squeaky thinks that this was not a speed move, but a strength move. Uh, and they ascertained that Lagos needed to get high enough to hoover up all the intel, which he must have been using lasers, which basically betrayed his position. Because of the dust, yeah. Yeah, and Squeaky wants to know if Raven felt threatened, you know, probably for liability issues. Well, there's this running thread through these next few chapters where they're like really worried about pissing Raven off, squeaking the enforcers all are, which Hero doesn't really understand. 
because we'll, we'll he doesn't. Why? Yeah, seemingly everyone's fucking heard of Raven, but mm-hmm. Hero. We yeah. find out, which is <laughs> funny says, because again, what is this group therapy? Who cares if Raven feels threatened? <laughs> but I mean, like in contrast, this is Raven or this is Hero who's got like a thousand jobs, mm-hmm. and he's the only person who hasn't heard of Raven. Um, so they, she, they get a call from YT. She's been following Raven because that's what she was told to do. So Squeaky and Hero run over to her car and get in and pursue Squeaky and Hero and Squeaky's driver. Um, I didn't even know that she was told to follow Raven so much as she just decided to because Hero kind of kind of like mentioned Raven to her. And so she just was like, oh, I'm going to be like a good spy, you yeah. know, like a good partner. And so she's like in this high speed pursuit of him on her skateboard, basically like taking pictures with their phone and like sending them back. Well, and like, and like specifically that last chapter that we had with her, she was just like, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't mm-hmm. like giving him some sass, but like, yeah, she's going to go follow him for real because she's a good partner, but also she sees the like financial, you know, possibilities mm-hmm. of everything. So it's, as they're, well, they're so driving, I was say, um, they're following T-Bone Murphy, who's like the lead crip. Um, and heroes like, how do you have these pictures of T-Bone Murphy that look like they're shot at this super weird angle, like down low to the ground or something? It's like, oh, they're from your partner, YT. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're following him. They they come across a dead crypt similar in the fashion to Lagos. Then they got word that Raven has probably gone to a nearby bar where they grow their own hops. Um, then we get kind of just an insane action sequence. This action sequence is nuts. I like how he describes it as once they get to a certain part of town, following the T-Bone and Raven show becomes a matter of connect the ambulances. <laughs> it's like following this like carnage till they get to this uh, like field of hops. And then yeah. entering the field of hops is insane. Uh, he mentions it's obvious Ravens decided to let himself get chased into this hot field because it's great cover. There's all these like vines on these trellises lashed together out of like long bamboo poles. And it's like a maze practically, you know, you can't really see anything. So we, we, we find out that Raven is cutting down the bamboo poles, slashing them to make a sharp end and making basically the spears and then throwing them at Hero and the Enforcer. And so drivers this, impaled immediately. I love this line where... They they roll up and uh, Squeaky says, yo, T-Bone, it's the Enforcers and we're pissed. <laughs> the spears start coming at Hero and here's a great line from the book. Mental note, whether or not Raven intended to take on a bunch of Crips and Enforcers single-handedly tonight, he didn't even bother to pack a gun. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love that. And they're like, hey, hey, T-Bone, get the fuck out of here, man. Let's go home. And uh, T-Bone or Hero assumes it's T-Bone responds only by firing a short burst from a machine pistol. So here gets over to T-Bone, finds out that he's uh, he was with Raven, who's cut off one of his hands at the wrist. Well, before I get there, there is some truly heinous description here, which yeah. is just like the nastiest thing. Like this, this uh, one of the other enforcers, the, the driver, gets like impaled with this like eight foot long like bamboo spear that Raven has made. And he's just kind of like doing this weird thing where he's kind of like running and hopping in place. And he mm-hmm. can't tell what it is at first. And then he's, see, it describes... Um, the the back half is dark with blood and black fecal clumps. The front half is greenish yellow and clean. Uh, and then he says that the back half whacks into a park, parked car, spraying a narrow fan of head cheese across the wax and polished trunk lid. That's when I just oh. want to throw up. I'm just like, blah, blah, blah. Anytime you have to hear the term head cheese. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Hero feels even at this moment that something has been torn open in the world and that he is dangling above the gap, staring into a place where he does not want to be. Lost in the biomass. Okay, and just so I'm clear, head cheese is the head cheese I'm thinking of, right? It's like Dick Feta. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Just, uh, awful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So of course, uh, uh, Hero draws his katana because he's fucking awesome. So, how would you describe Raven's super knife? 
Uh, we don't, I don't know. It, it's a spoiler ish. Like we don't, we don't learn about it yet, but do you want me, should I say what it is? Yeah, I think you should. It's a, it's a molecule thin knife. It's essentially glass. Like it's obsidian. He, mm-hmm. he makes knives out of obsidian with a razor sharp edge just because the way you can like chip obsidian, like down to a single molecule basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, it's, we're stretching reality a little bit. I don't think you could actually do this with an obsidian knife. Like, because they're they're fragile at the same time, but he he can basically just like take a thing of bamboo and like swipe off the top like he's cutting through butter or something, you know. Yeah. This is um, uh his not so subtle knife. Yeah. And then and then because it's such a sharp knife, these like spears that he's making out of bamboo are incredibly sharp as well. Uh, and so he throws one at Hero, and Hero like is just complete badass like samurai Jedi just like blocks it with the sword, like taps it aside, like without even really thinking about it. Uh yeah, so Raymond has a super knife. It pier- it, it, it can pierce T Bone's like bulletproof vest, but isn't strong enough to slash it. Mm-hmm. So he can't gut T Bone like he did Lagos. So he kind of like slashes like his like femoral arteries. Well, he does a weird thing, or he describes it where he uh he drops to one knee and swings his knife around in a long elips between T Bone's thighs. Then he jumps over T Bone's collapsing body and runs. So we don't really know what he's done yet, but we'll get to that description at the end of the chapter here. Yeah. Uh, Hero senses that T-Bone's a goner, so he just goes after Raven to get a better sense of, of, of him and where he's going. Uh, he sees that Raven's on his motorcycle, sees him pulling away. He, he does uh, say he gets a clear look at Raven's face for the first time. He's Asian. He has a wispy mustache that trails down past his chin. Let's look. Uh, another crypt shows up and goes after Raven. When he gets to, uh, close to Raven, Raven basically effortlessly punches the shit out of it like punches his jaw as he's on his motorcycle seemingly not going that fast i guess yeah, yeah. he just like completely like flo- levels this dude like annihilates him um and it, this crypt is saying that fucker ripped us off the suitcase burned so it's something to do with that suitcase that raven gave to uh t-bone this sentence hero watches the large radioactive spear throwing killer drug lord ride his motorcycle in the Chinatown, which is the same as riding into China as far as chasing him down is concerned. Yeah, and the Criff is just like, he ripped us off. Nobody does that and lives. And he says, Well, Raven just did, Squeaky says. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the Crypt so, thinks that Raven is Indian, but Hero still thinks he's Asian. Yeah, and then here's the description. Hero goes back into the hops and finds T Bone. T Bone is dead, slumped in a kneeling position against the trellis. The stab wound through his bulletproof vest probably would have been fatal, but Raven wasn't satisfied with that. He went down low and slashed up and down the insides of T-Bone's thighs, which are now laid open all the way to the bone. In doing so, he put great lengthwise rents into both of T-Bone's femoral arteries, and his entire blood supply dropped out of him, like slicing the bottom off a styrofoam cup, which is horrifying and, and graphic and and disturbing. Just the, He'd just be like, whoosh, 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 and just like, boom, all your blood just gone out of you. <laughs> No more, no more uh, biomass. Yeah. yeah. Don't fuck with Raven. And so chapter 20, YT shows up. She's like walking out of a Chinese place with some takeout. She's like, yo, pod, spicy chicken with black bean sauce. No MSG. You know how to use chopsticks, which is like just her like kind of digging at him. Hero shrugs off the insult. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the enforcers, they have turned, they've locked down this whole area, turned into mobile headquarters. They basically got like CSI looking guys. They're Geiger counters, mm-hmm. a tow truck to haul away T-Bone's BMW. I like that um, YT is seemingly somewhat clueless to what's gone on, which and, and like hero, it's nice that hero isn't like also thinking like, maybe I could bang this chick. Like, like mm-hmm. obviously YT's 15, you know, she's going to think that way, but heroes like definitely acting like this is a, a young 
teenage child you know it's like he's protective and paternalistic about her he's like you know do you see anything you know like you need to stay away from that guy he sees her as robin to his batman yeah and and like in is he does not want her to put her in dangerous situations like this he's glad that she doesn't know what really happened here well so much so that she's like i got a double order of food because i'm pretty sure we got some good intel tonight (laughs) i'm sure he's uh, not hungry (laughs) yeah Uh, after seeing head cheese spray i like out of somebody I like the uh, just that he wants to make sure she wasn't an eyewitness, both mm-hmm. to like to have that in her head, but also to be like like in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, he tells her he thought it was just a surveillance job. If you don't, otherwise, he wouldn't have gotten her involved. And tells her to stay the fuck away from Raven. And she says, "Sure," she says. She says it in that chirpy tone of voice that she uses when she's lying, and she wants to make sure you know it. Because <laughs> uh, she'll get very close to, to Raven. But yeah, oh, yeah, Squeaky goes through the backseat of T Bone's BMW. The leather of the seats is buttery and there's the stench of burned plastic and we see that the the briefcase that the the raven gave the crips is just burnt yeah so basically they kind of csi this weird briefcase this like metal briefcase and there's like inside of it there's all these little red cap tubes these are the same kind that hero saw by the you store it this is like the new drug that's around and it seems like the the source of the fire that burnt this briefcase came from inside there's like a little like credit card like reader inside as though you'd like pay for it. And like the, the vials of red cat vials get um, dispensed out of it. You know, it's like whatever this is, like I, I think it's squeaky says like they they're keeping very tight control over this type of drug, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it basically it burnt it like self-destructed because uh, T-bone stopped at a bar and like went inside for a drink and he like left the briefcase in he the was car. the legal owner. Mm-hmm. So he could not be more than 10 feet away from it. Yeah. And so because he like left it alone, it just self-destructed because like they don't want anyone getting their hands on this stuff. I think, let me see if I can find the description so, uh, here. It's a uh, red plastic cap on one end. The cap is a black rectangular window and a squeaky rotates that hero can see the dark red glint of an inactive led display inside, like looking at the display of a turn off calculator. And so mm-hmm. there's like this weird little kind of like bell of a trumpet thing. Like, this is some weird ass like techno drug. So the squeaky points out the drug is known by a couple of names, including Countdown, Red Cap, and also Bump 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 Snow Crash. Yes. So it's a drug that is both a real thing and and you know the meat verse, but it's also a digital drug in the metaverse. Yeah. So the crypts are chasing Raven through through Chinatown and Squeaky is furious about the crypt that went after Raven. And that's who he's really after, the crypt and not Raven. Raven's the bad guy. There's a whole thing here. It's it's great. We're like, Hero's like, isn't Raven a bad guy? And he's like, yeah, Raven's a bad guy. And if I was a real cop, I'd be after him, but I'm not. I'm an enforcer. My job is to enforce order. So me and every other enforcer here is trying to protect Raven. Well, it's it's slowly like Squeaky's discovering that like Hero doesn't know shit about shit involving raven and he's like i if i had known you were this clueless about what was going on i like never would have let you tag along you know yeah but like yeah. just just so you don't fuck anything up let me give you the download on a raven he's a sovereign um and a sovereign means he is a nuclear power how is he a nuclear power because that sidecar that he tools around in it's got a nuclear torpedo in it and it's like rigged up to like electrodes in his brain and if raven dies that nuclear uh, bomb goes off. So mm-hmm. nobody wants to fuck with Raven. Yeah. I like, well, Squeaky's also just like, don't get any ideas about like, you know, going after your, get revenge of your off colleague. And here's like, who gets a shit about Lockos? Yeah. Like, what the fuck's <laughs> going on here? Um, 
Yeah, so he thought that Hero was some kind of tough as shit CIC wet operations guy. And honestly, that's a word that needs to come back. Wet works. Wet works, definitely. I, I actually went and looked up the etymology of wet works because I was curious. It literally comes from the kind of robberies or assassinations that involve spilling blood. Oh, yeah. That's also the origin of the term liquidate. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. But yeah, so if Raven dies, the bomb goes off. So when Raven comes to town, we do everything in our power to make sure the man feels welcome. And Hero is just like gaping at this. So YT sets on his behalf and says, okay, speaking for my partner myself, we'll stay away from him. <laughs> that's the end of the chapter. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a book. I mean, it's it, just on, on the surface, like, okay, this is like the hardest core dude ever. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. driving around with a fucking nuclear weapon that'll explode if anyone kills him. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you couldn't get any more metal from that. But but also just like as a plot device, you're like, okay, well, this guy's clearly in, the antagonist, but like, yeah. what do you do with an antagonist who you can't kill? You know, or, or you know, like he'd, he'd have to find some way to defuse the bomb or like move the bomb far away from him. Or yeah, it's like, it's, it's a problem that would have to be solved before trying to face him down. I really wondered when they were doing season four of Lost, were they thinking about Raven at all with Martin Kimi? Well, yeah, I wonder. Uh, yeah, so... You know, we were introduced in this book to hero protagonist who is like the most badass dude. And then Stevenson's like, hold, hold my fucking meta beer. Like there is, I think it's still a ways off, but there is like a, an opening to a chapter later on in the book where hero describes, you know, how he doesn't need to worry about being a badass anymore because he's met Raven, which I can't wait to get there. <laughs> but, so all right, so- Raven, basically that all just happened because. T-Bone was like stupid and left the uh, the snow crash in the car. It blew up. He got mad and like thought Raven ripped him off. <clears throat> so he tried to chase Raven down and Raven just like dispatched his entire organization. Yeah. With spears. Yeah. And and we'll continue to as the Crips chase him through Chinatown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what uh, what are we looking forward to in, in 21 through 25? What kind of preview can you give us? Um. You know, it's been a while since I reread this section. I I think I'm going to start doing like one chapter ahead each time Uh, Mm -hmm. or not one chapter, one, one segment ahead each time. But um, we're we're, YT is going to make that delivery to Enzo. Obviously that's coming up. So we're going to get some, some YT Enzo interaction. Fantastic. And I think maybe some further like a hero with the librarian download maybe. Okay, cool. Yeah. Let's find out some more news articles about L Bob Reif. (laughs) Yeah. All right, yeah, it's coming uh, together. But, yeah, we've we've got ourselves the beginnings of a mystery. You know, it's it's not mm. quite as tight as like a pure this is a case I need you to solve, but it's mm. there's some threads that are slowly coming together here about Snow Crash. Um we're still kind of doing a split timeline thing. I'm not sure exactly when we're going to catch up to single timeline here. Mm. Um cuz all this stuff like all the, all the YT stuff presumably is happening before this interaction like her her delivering documents to enzo I, i'm assuming is happening before all this stuff with raven i don't know i guess mm. we'll, we'll have to wait and see in the, in the 36 days yeah well i mean the mafia is aware of her because she finished the pizza delivery right and they want to meet her yeah yeah okay. so i'm assuming that's happening before this concert and the raven chase and all that oh interesting interesting but yeah nuclear power he's like somehow went and got himself a a nuclear warhead from like a submarine or something like that. I think he says. Yeah. yeah. So he's basically like, like a nation unto himself. Mm-hmm. Wherever he he's goes. a sovereign state. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So nobody could fuck with them. The the thing that I remember like 80s like cop shows love to play with the the guy of diplomatic immunity. Mm, diplomatic immunity, yeah, lethal weapon too. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, yeah. Tune in next time. Tune in next time for chapters 21 through 25 of Snow Crash. We're I mean, that's like about a third of the way through the book at that point, so we're making yeah. some progress. Here we are. All Having right. Cool. Till then, have a good one. Peace. Bye-bye. Thank you.